and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. It is Saturday, January 7th, 2023. And I am your host, as always, The Pody. Before we get started on today's episode, I just want to apologize. We, well, I didn't produce any content for the last two weeks. Uh, Christmas break two weeks ago, I, so the 23rd, I was super tired after work. Um, so I slept for nearly six hours, woke up to catch the Nets beating the Bucks in the fourth quarter. And then I had this weird little cough and went the rest of the night, showered, and I just felt really achy and weak. And then I was sick all throughout Christmas and whatnot. Um, so I've been healing up. I'm doing better now. And uh, I was going to do an episode, of course, last night. But um had to go to my grandparents, install a doorbell camera, and, you know, got home super late. So all s- sorts of craziness over the last two weeks. But we're back. We are back. Um, better than ever. Ready to do this show. We've got about a half hour until the first NFL Week 18 game kicks off between the Raiders and the Chiefs. I'll get into all that, give you my predictions, my bets, my picks for this weekend's uh, final regular season games. Um, We'll get into the DeMar Hamlin situation. Thankfully, he's doing better. I've got uh, another former NFL player um, who's in critical condition that I will talk about later in the show. Also, So yeah, a lot going on, but without further ado, let us jump in and get into episode 196 of This Week in Sports. Okay, so again, I will get into the DeMar Hamlin stuff a little bit later, but I do want to first recap uh, and give you what the outlook is as of right now. So let's start with actually the Sunday night game between the Steelers and the Ravens. And of course, no brainer with Steelers Ravens games, always bet the under. This was a virtual lock. Uh, Steel, so Steelers, we'll pick this up late. Steelers pretty much losing for the entire game, about 47 minutes until Kenny Pickett, the rookie, who looks to be a legitimate quarterback so far. I, I've seen some good things from him. He's He fits in well with a Mike Tomlin-led uh, Steelers team that's just been so steady for so many years. Unbelievable. Um, game-winning 11-play touchdown drive. This play, this throw to, to to Najee Harris for the win was was epic. He scrambles left side, throws it, catches him in stride for the touchdown. Uh, it, it's probably his pivotal moment of his rookie season. His his moment um, against a division rival as well. It keeps the Steelers alive in the playoff hunt. They now sit at eight and eight. But here's what the touchdown sounded like live. Pickett, flush, pressured, throws on the run, caught by Harris for a touchdown! Oh, what a play! And the Steelers take the lead! 
The Steelers, yes, they took the lead there. Uh, there was like 50-something seconds left, maybe, not even. Um, and they held on for the win. So, listen, we all know the Ravens are without Lamar Jackson. They've got Huntley right now, but they desperately need Lamar Jackson back. And if I'm to believe reports that are coming out from Adam Schefter not too long ago today, actually, he said that um, despite swelling still in his knee, all signs are pointing to Lamar Jackson playing in that first playoff wildcard game in in a couple weeks. So um, without him, they haven't topped 20 points since November. So, yeah, it's very very glaring that they need their man back for sure. Okay, another shot. Uh, well, I don't know if it's so shocking, but I think the act, the the outcome wasn't shocking. The score, in my opinion, was very shocking. The Packers' absolute dominance over the Vikings, forty-one to seventeen was the final, so that to me is a bit shocking. We saw Kirk Cousins throw three picks, and the Packers ran a kickoff back early as well. Um, so now what this does is it sets up a wacky and wild Week 18, a a Green Bay Packers team that was 4-8 and eight, that lost back-to-back -back games to the Giants in London and then the Jets at home. They are now in a win-and-in situation. If they beat Detroit... This was a Packers team that was four and eight. Everyone rode them off, rode Aaron Rodgers off, said terrible things. They went from four and eight. They are now eight and eight. And if they beat the Lions Sunday, they will get in over the Seahawks because of the conference record and being that this is a conference game. So the Seahawks need to win and they need some help to get in for that final spot. Packers win and in Lions. They have the same record as the Packers. So should they beat the Packers? I believe they would need the Seahawks to lose to get in. So a lot going on there, but very, very impressive from what for, you know, what I've seen from Aaron Rodgers and company since that tailspin earlier in the season and they were written off. Uh, the Giants, they also secured their spot in the playoffs for the first time since 2016. They handled uh, the Colts quite easily. However, there was some controversy in this one as the rookie Kayvon Thibodeau uh, sacked Nick Foles and then proceeded to celebrate by making snow angels next to Foles' body. Uh, and Nick Foles happened to actually be convulsing like seizure type convulsing and he was seriously injured even the announcers are saying somebody get Thibodeau off the field like what is he doing um he did since apologize Jeff Saturday Colts head coach was very pissed sticking up for his man um his guy after the game he called the play tasteless and trash and um it didn't end there because Kayvon Thibodeau was asked about it and this was his reaction oh boy who, that's what I'm saying, who's the gatekeeper of when to do something? So once we figure out who the gatekeeper is, then we can write the rules and then we can establish, you know, the narratives and things like that. But until, you know, you guys actually are in the sport and do it and be in that moment, you can't create a narrative on it, you know? Well, we're not creating a narrative on it. The guy, the other team's coach had a problem with it. He's the guy who played the game. The that's other team's I players don't, I don't had know a who problem he is. with it. No, I just don't know who, like, anybody who comments on it, unless I know who they are, doesn't really affect me. That's it. Rookies need to learn something, and they need to learn it quickly. Uh, know your elders. Respect them. 
and just shut up and play. I, I, I mean, just apologize, own it, and move on. The, it, 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 does he really, like, is he going to sit there and really try to say he doesn't know who Jeff Saturday is, the former center of the Indianapolis Colts, a staple for over a decade with Peyton Manning and those great Colts team. Like, come on, bro. Everyone in their and their mother knows who Jeff Saturday is. I mean, if even if you didn't know who Jeff Saturday was as a player, you knew about him after this controversy when he got the interim head coaching job with the Colts with zero coaching experience whatsoever. I mean, come on, man. That's total disrespect. Uh, you know, it, it's just... It, it, if the play wasn't uh, tasteless and trash, well, that that comment absolutely was. So um, interesting thoughts from some uh, reporters that I've heard or some some uh, radio hosts um, that were saying the Eagles are now are playing the Giants this weekend uh, tomorrow. And Nick Foles basically has a statue in Philly for winning them a Super Bowl. So they're there could possibly be some retaliation by the Eagles on uh, a cave on Thibodeau. So maybe that's a little something to watch out for. I highly doubt that will happen, but it does add a little spice and a little narrative to tomorrow's game because it's just, it, it's brutal. I, I get he apologized. He didn't realize that that was happening. Um, but you're a rookie. You sack the quarterback. You don't need to get on the floor, get on the ground and start making snow angels. It, it really is kind of embarrassing. Like, get off the ground and just be happy. Like Tiger Woods, when he makes a long putt, a nice fist bump. You know, you're excited. Sure, you that's your job is to sack the quarterback. I get it. You don't, you know... It, you don't get to do it like every single game or maybe once a game if you're lucky, right? But just a nice fist bump, you know, a nice little quick celebration. And definitely you better not be celebrating when you're losing. Um, So that would have been doubly as bad if they were losing this game. But no, they get the blowout. Giants are now back in the playoffs. But that was something that struck a chord with a lot of people. He's celebrating and then that comment kind of, took it overboard like wow okay so of course my jets now eliminated they came out mike white named starter yet again they had a chance to beat the seahawks in seattle and set up a win and in situation this week essentially and they put up six points so if we're Keeping track, nine points in the last two games for my New York Jets and five straight losses. Totally missed an opportunity to go to the playoffs this year. Just saying. So anyway, here's where we stand playoff-wise. We've got the Ravens, the Chargers, Vikings, Giants, and Bucks. All have secured their spots in the playoffs. While I just talked about the Packers, the Patriots, the Jaguars, and Titans, all four of those teams control their own destinies. So what does that mean? Packers win, they're in. Patriots beat the Bills, they're in. Doubt that's going to happen. Jaguars and Titans, they are playing each other tonight at 8 p.m. or somewhere around there, 8, 8, 15, 8, 30. And that is for the division. Jaguars are rolling right now. The Titans have lost six in a row and are starting Josh Dobbs yet again. Everybody and their mother is on the Jaguars, so I'd be a little leery there because it's just like, wow, are the Titans really going to drop a seventh straight game and lose the division? It seems that way just because of the quarterback situation and everything going on, but when that many people are on one side, 
you kind of tend to want to bet the other side. And I think the spread's like up to six, six and a half. So I would probably lean towards the Titans in this one. But those are the teams winning there. in. then you've got the Dolphins, the Steelers, the Seahawks, and the Lions. They all need to win and have someone lose. Um, the Dolphins need to beat the Jets which is very possible now that the Jets are starting Joe Flacco, although the Dolphins are starting rookie Skylar Thompson, and they've been they've dropped like four or five in a row after they were eight and three. Uh, the Steelers need to win, and then I believe they need the Dolphins and the Patriots to lose, so that's a tough one. The Seahawks and Lions need to win, and they need help. Like The Seahawks need the, Pac- the Lions to beat the Packers, I think. Um, and the Lions need to win and have the Seahawks lose. It's just there's a lot going on. So that's kind of where we stand. And then, of course, no bigger story, no bigger news than DeMar Hamlin and what happened on Monday night. So I will say. First and foremost, I didn't see the play live. So here's what was going on. Rutgers basketball was playing number one Purdue. That was on television. Right. You know, that was in the second half while this game was starting. So I saw a little bit of the beginning of the Bengals and Bills game. And normally I would have it like on my iPad, but I had no investment in that game really, except that it was going to be a good one. So I didn't even pull the iPad out. I was too invested. I was too locked in on Rutgers. Um because they were ha- they were winning. They were beating Purdue at the half. They had a lead of like 13 into the second half, and then Purdue mounts this crazy comeback, and then they take a lead really late under a minute. Then Rutgers Camp Spencer hits a three to give them the lead. Then the uh, Purdue misses a shot. It goes out of bounds. Rutgers gets the ball with like 0.4 seconds. All they have to do is throw it inbound, and Caleb McConnell like moves on out of bounds, which you can't do. He wasn't under the basket. It was a violation. The ball went back to Purdue, and then Purdue had one final heave inbounds, and it got knocked away. So anyway, Rutgers won the game by one, knocked off number one Purdue for the second straight year. It's a huge win on the road. Anyway, so I'm watching that game. Rutgers wins. I'm all excited. So now I'm like, okay, I could switch over to the Bengals game. I knew the Bengals were up at this point. They had scored on their opening drive, so they were up 7-3. to three. Bill settled for a field goal. As soon as I turn on the game, nothing's happening. It looks like maybe they just came out of commercial. And then all of a sudden, I hear what's going on. That the game has been stopped since 8.55 because there was a pass to T. Higgins and DeMar Hamlin, the sixth-round rookie safety for the bills went to make the tackle or did make the tackle um t higgins lowered his shoulder into damar hamlin's chest damar hamlin pops up literally adjusts his chin strap like adjusts his helmet and then next thing you know just collapses to the ground lights like lights out boom gets up boom a second later goes down and the game had been stopped since 8 55 it's well after nine o'clock at this point when i turn it on like maybe around 9 10 9 15 and they said then i group chat starts firing away my friends start going crazy um my friend calls me to tell me what's going my friend that's a doctor uh priyank he starts explaining to me what happened he sends me the video and I'm like, oh my God, they actually had to do CPR on the field 
Um, the Bills' assistant athletic trainer saved this man's life, we're now learning. Gives him CPR. They get him into an ambulance, get him to Cincinnati General, I believe, the only trauma once uh, hospital in the area. And they do CPR a second time when they get him there. And we, you know, nobody knows what's going on. They go back to the studio at ESPN. Um, they're talking. They're like, nobody cares about this game right now. This is about this man's health. He literally just died on the field and had to be resuscitated back to life. Like, what is going on? What happened? He didn't hit his head. It wasn't anything like that. And nobody knew if they were going to restart this game. So they send the teams to the locker rooms. There's a lot of discussion. Nobody knows what to do. And then eventually, about an hour after the play, they decide the game is canceled. We are not playing this game tonight. Uh, you saw Bills players crying. It was just very emotional. It was one of the most shocking things I've ever seen. Now, listen, I didn't see this play live on the television, but the whole, just the situation itself, shocking. I was, I happened to be at the Meadowlands um, at MetLife Stadium in 2010 when uh, Rutgers was playing Army yeah, Army, and, you know, uh, it, it, it was one of the craziest scenes ever to, to see a player actually get paralyzed. Um, it, it was just Eric Legrand, I mean, on the kickoff, and this was on a kickoff, so these guys are running full speed, and I'll never forget it. I was there with my brother and one of my brother's uh, friends, who's a state trooper, and we're there watching the game because me and my brother were going to Rutgers at the time, so we, we get a free ticket, so we're like, all right, let's go, and we're watching the game on the kickoff. He's covering the kickoff, and then boom, he hits them. He hits the returner or whoever he hit, and it was just lights out, no movement. You see head coach Greg Schiano run on to, like, you just knew it was really, really bad. And they actually finished that game. Rutgers won in overtime. Um, so that was as intense as I've ever seen in my life. And he's still paralyzed from basically the shoulders down um, to this point. There was, they didn't know if he was going to survive. He wasn't breathing on his own. So all similar traits to what, to what happened with DeMar Hamlin. They intubated him. He was on a ventilator, not breathing on his own. He was in critical condition. So nobody cared about this game at this point. They canceled it. They did the right thing. And it was all about this man. And and is he going to even survive this? 24 years old. Can you imagine? Um, but since last Monday, thank God, DeMar Hamlin has woken up. He actually asked who won the game if his bills won. And the doctors actually said, yes, you won. You won the game of life, which is true. His brain function is totally intact. He's been writing. He's been breathing on his own. He FaceTimed with his teammates. Like this man, it looks like, might actually make a full recovery. Whether he actually plays again, I'm not sure. We now know he suffered what is what is known as um, commodio cordis, I believe it's called. Uh, yeah, commodio cordis, which is when you sustain a quick, like sharp blow to your chest that can cause an additional, uh, like additional waves of electricity to pass through the heart muscle. It throws off your normal heart rhythm and actually stops the heart and 
it can obviously be deadly if you don't get CPR or a you know defibrillator to to reset your heart essentially. Uh, so very scary, but thankfully he is make continuing to make progress every single day, and he is alive. Uh, he's still in the hospital to this point, but he is awake. He's breathing on his own, and it looks to be like he is going to be okay. Now, this happened to an NHL player uh, a number of years ago. He got hit in the chest with the puck, went down. Same thing, Commodio Cordis. He actually uh, survived. He was fine and went on to play 12 years in the NHL. So, you know, if there's any saving grace, it's that. So hopefully, you know, because this is his livelihood. This is his living. Sixth round pick. His salary for this year was only around 800000 which by professional sports standards is nothing. You know, I'm sure he wants to get back out there and, and play, play again, um, you know, provided that doctors at some point down the line say that that's okay and that this was just a freak like that's the thing about this this was a freak accident he had no pre -con pre -con you know uh like condition heart condition that was just missed or that he didn't know about this was just a freak thing it could have happened in any sport at any moment it was just that much of a freak accident um but what that does now is it's the first time since I believe 1935 every team in the league will now not play the same number of games because we have learned that they canceled the game and they are not going to make it up. So it sets up some interesting playoff scenarios and here is how the league has decided to do this. If the Bills or Bengals, so the Bills or Bengals depending on who won that game, like any, the, the one seed was up for grabs. We know the Bills and the uh, Chiefs have the same, had the same record going into last week. And if the Bills won out, despite the Chiefs winning out, if that was the case, the Bills would get the one seed because they beat the Chiefs head to head. So that was up for grabs. Now, if the Bills lost to the Bengals and then say the Chiefs lost in, you know, this week, today, then the Bengals were still in play for the one seed. So the one seed was up for grabs there. So that presents a problem now because the Chiefs now are the one seed because uh, just by winning percentage, having played one more game. So here are the following playoff scenarios. If the Bills or Bengals reach the AFC championship game and it is against the Chiefs, who by default now became the one seed, essentially. Granted, if they lose today, the Bills can still get the one seed. But that game should the Chiefs make the AFC Championship game against either the Bills or the Bengals, that game will now be played at a neutral site because they determined it's unfair that the Chiefs will get the one seed. So this game will be played at a neutral site. Very, very unprecedented, very unorthodox. In the event that the Ravens beat the Bengals tomorrow, they will have beaten them twice. But because Cincinnati will have a better winning percentage having played one less game, the Ravens won't be able to host a playoff game and win the division. So should these two teams meet in wildcard weekend, home field advantage will actually be determined by a coin toss. And we've now learned today from Adam Schefter that Zach Taylor, head coach of the Bengals, and many inside the Bengals organization are absolutely livid about this coin toss. They are furious because they believe they got screwed by you know, not having played this extra game and that this being the rule that was put in place. So they are absolutely furious and I can't really blame them, but as long as they take care of business tomorrow, they should be fine. They'll win the division and things will 
just be peachy in Cincinnati. So yeah, that's that's your NFL scoop. Now, tonight, we've got two games. 4.30, we've got the Chiefs and the Raiders. I believe the Raiders are like nine, nine and a half point underdogs. They played tough yesterday, They uh, last week. They lost in overtime to the Raider, uh, to the 49ers. Brock Purdy, yes, still undefeated. Um, so this game it is, yeah, eight and a half. Kansas City favored by eight and a half. Looks like money has been going in on the Raiders. Now, if you look at the Raiders, yes, they're six and 10. Like I said, they just lost in overtime to the 49ers. They looked pretty good there. They lost by five in, in week one. They lost by six in week two. They lost by two in week three. They lost by one in like weeks, uh, week five, uh, their only real blowout was a 24-0 drubbing at New Orleans, which was quite shocking. They lost by seven to Jacksonville, five to Indianapolis. They lost by one to the Rams. They lost by three to Pittsburgh, and they lost by three to San Francisco. So if you're looking at their schedule, um, they've only been blown out in one game. Every other game has been within a touchdown. So if you're looking at that, and then you compare that to the Chiefs' defense, which hasn't been great, it tells you bet the bet the uh, bet the Raiders in this one, and Josh Jacobs, who's dealing with some stuff, personal stuff, a little bit of an injury. He is actually going to play today. His father had open heart surgery, um, so there was some question whether or not he would play. But no, he is going to play. So kudos to him. That's got to be tough. Uh, so he's playing for his dad. If you're looking for an anytime touchdown score, he would be a good player to bet on. Um, and now that I'm saying that out loud, I'm going to jump into DraftKings because the game is starting very soon. And I'm actually going to see what the odds are for Josh Jacobs to score an anytime touchdown. So let's check it out. Uh, it is eight and a half on DraftKings. Let's look at touchdown scores. Jarek McKinnon has scored in like six straight games. He's minus 105. That's not bad. Josh Jacobs, eh, minus 120. I'll lay off of that. I look for plus odds or anything close. Um, so yeah, that's that's the first game. And then the second game, Jaguars-Titans. I already said how I feel about that game. It's a six and a half point spread. I'll take the Titans just because I know everyone's on the Jaguars. Tomorrow, you've got my Jets against the Dolphins. Yeah, would it be nice for the Jets to win a game to end the season and not lose six in a row and knock the the Bills out, I mean, the uh, Dolphins out of the playoffs, sure. But at this point, we're not in the playoffs. I don't care. Just lose the freaking game and get a top, try to get a top 10 pick, hopefully, if a couple things swing your way because they're 13th right now. Um, that's that's how I feel about the Jets. And they're starting Joe Flacco, which is just awful. Uh, they're three and a half point underdogs are the Jets. You've got the Bills hosting the Patriots with everything going on with the Bills. I think they come out and absolutely slaughter the Patriots. They don't want them in the playoffs. They're going to try to end uh, their season. The spread is seven and a half. Uh, give me the Bills. Ravens, Bengals, Bengals are pissed. Bengals are nine-point favorites against a Ravens team that hasn't scored 20 since November. Uh, Bengals will roll in this game, no question. They'll cover that. Okay, you've got the Chicago Bears plus six against the Minnesota Vikings. Vikings can't get the one seed, I don't think, right now after losing to the Packers last week. They, they gave up 41 points, um, and they have a worse point differential than the Jets and the Browns and a couple other teams, which is shocking because they're what, 12 and 4, 11, 12 and 4, I believe. Um, so also, the Chicago Bears are starting 
Nathan Peterman. Yes, Nathan Peterman, who once threw five interceptions in a half. All the money is rolling in on the Vikings, and I don't disagree. The Bears have lost nine in a row. They'll end the season having lost 10 in a row. The final game of the season for the Steelers and Browns, nice divisional matchup there. Again, Steelers need this game to get in or to have a chance. Mike Tomlin has never had a losing record. Steelers are three, two and a half point favorites. I like the Steelers. That's a pretty cut and dry one. Atlanta Falcons hosting the Bucs. We all know that the Bucs won their division with their um, big-time win over Carolina last week. It was looking bleak early on, but Mike Evans and Tom Brady finally got back on the same page to the tune of three touchdowns, so Bucs are 8-8. Eight and eight. They won the division. They're not playing for anything in this game, so this could be an interesting one. The Falcons are four-point favorites. Uh, I still like the Bucs. I know Tom Brady's probably not playing in this game, and nor is anybody, but I still like the Bucs. The Falcons, I think, are a total mess. Then you have the Saints and the Panthers. Um, Saints are three-point favorites here. Another divisional matchup. I wouldn't touch this game, but I like the way pa Carolina's been playing. Give me the Panthers plus three on the road. Colts and Texans. This is an interesting one. Colts are two-and-a-half-point favorites over a Houston team vying for that number one seed. Should Houston win this game by some miracle, Chicago will get the ones the, the number one pick. So I don't think the Texans are playing for much. Just lose this game, get the number one pick, and, you know, have your shot at whichever quarterback you want. I like the Colts. I don't know why I shouldn't, but... The Seahawks hosting the Rams. Again, Seahawks need this win, and they need some help. It's really Baker Mayfield's final audition for a starting job next year. Um, but sorry, Seahawks are going to be a little too much to handle for the Rams and they're at home. So I like the Seahawks. You've got the Eagles and the Giants Eagles hosting the Giants. We're not going to see Daniel Jones. Davis Webb has just been elevated from the practice squad. If we do see Daniel Jones and, and Saquon and those guys, it won't be for very long. They are 15 and a half point underdogs against the Philadelphia Eagles who can lock up the one seed. Um, that's a big time spread. I don't care who's playing for the Giants. You still have Dayball coaching. Give me the Giants plus 15 and a half. And then in an interesting matchup, you have the Commanders hosting the Cowboys. They are seven point underdogs. Cowboys have been a little bit shaky of late. They can still possibly win the division if the Eagles were to lose to the Giants. And the fact that the uh, Commanders have been in a tailspin, they are now going to their third quarterback in rookie Sam Howell. He gets the nod in this one, and I hate to say it, but I kind of like the commanders. I know they're they're not playing a lot of their players. No Brian Robinson. Some defensive guys are out, but um, it's a divisional matchup. It's week 18. You know, Sam Howell's going to try to make a name for himself. I kind of like Washington to cover the seven here. Call me crazy, but it is what it is. Then you've got the 49ers hosting the Cardinals. 49ers are 14-point favorites, which is, that's, again, just too big of a number. Each game that goes on that Brock Purdy continues to not lose is just one game closer to where a game that he is going to lose. So not that he's going to lose this game, but I'll, I'll take the Cardinals to cover. Then we've got the Broncos hosting the Chargers. Broncos actually favored in this one because, again, the Chargers are probably not playing a lot of their starters just because 
uh, they're already locked into a wild card spot. So Broncos, they looked good last week, gave the uh, Chiefs a run for their money. So uh, yeah, they're favored in this game for a reason. Um, I'll take the uh, the bangle, uh, ugh, the Broncos. Then in the uh, nightcap, you've got the Green Bay Packers hosting the Detroit Lions. Packers five-point favorites. This game is in Lambeau. It's a win-and-in situation, and I'm not betting on Jared Goff and the Detroit Lions. Sorry, there's a reason you're one of the worst teams in football, although you had a great season. I'll take the Packers with the points and Aaron Rodgers to get back into the playoffs. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Those are my picks for every single game. We'll see how it plays out. I have not been great this year um, in fantasy or in uh, my betting with my picks, but I feel confident with week 18. So let's move on. Let's talk some CFP. Boy, did it ever deliver on New Year's Eve. Better than expected. Um, TCU Michigan was pure anarchy. I didn't think TCU really stood much chance, but going in the spread was was quite, you know, was big enough to the point that I was going to, you know, I was on TCU at this point. I didn't end up betting any of these games, but um, if you did find yourself betting, I hope you bet the over because both of these games shattered the overs. Oh, my God. So anyway, TCU takes an early 21-6 lead, but Michigan, of course, they weren't going to let up. And the third quarter, we saw 44 combined points scored. Oh, my God. Yeah, so congrats to anyone that took the over. Um, but ultimately, TCU made just one or two more plays and were able to come out on top 51-45. to 45. Unfortunately, Jim Harbaugh, it's another early exit from playoff contention. They slayed the Dragon last year and this year, beating Ohio State in back-to-back years, winning the Big Ten, yet he couldn't get through the college football playoff and get that win and get to the national championship. So... Of course, NFL rumors are swirling once again, and it seems to be that if the right team were to call, Harbaugh might leave to the NFL. Um, it's also interesting because it came out that he said yesterday he expects to be back at Michigan in 2023. However, there are some complications. Last night, uh, or two nights ago, the NCAA accused Michigan and Harbaugh of five violations, including a level one charge. He allegedly provided false information or misleading information to the NCAA during its investigation. And that investigation found that he failed to cooperate with investigators related to a level two violation regarding contact with two prospects during the COVID-19 dead period. The violations include impermissible contact made during the COVID-19 dead period, as well as a self-reported violation for improper use of an analyst for on-field instruction. These violations are considered minor infractions. Uh, But it was not a good day for the Big Ten because Ohio State also blew a game against Georgia with a chance to go to the national championship. Ohio State was dominating this game, but of course the reigning national champs in Georgia, led by their, what, 25, 26-year-old quarterback in Stetson Bennett, the former walk-on, they were not going to go quietly into the night. Facing an 18-point deficit in the fourth, that's when Georgia decided to mount its comeback. They took a one-point lead with less than a minute left 
Ohio State had three timeouts and 54 seconds to go, which was you figured, oh, this is a cakewalk. They have one of the best kickers in the in the game, no less. So they move the ball nicely. They get to about the 30 or so with 17 seconds left and a first down. I think they had two timeouts at this point, one or two. They decided to run the ball on first down, which I'm saying to myself, what are we doing? They go basically nowhere. So it's second and 10. And then Georgia brought some pressure. The next two downs, they had to throw the ball uh, in completions. And they were now staring down the barrel of a 50-yard field goal. And this was literally right at midnight. They were kicking this ball. And my God, it wasn't even close. They put themselves in a tough predicament, put a 20, 21, 22-year-old kicker in a very tough spot, as good as he is, to be staring down a 50-yard field goal to send his team to the national championship. It was a lot of pressure. Um, he overstepped on the kick and just just caught it more so towards his more towards his shin than anything and just pulled it completely left as soon as he kicked it it wasn't even close um so you feel for the kid but Stetson Bennett in Georgia moving on to the national championship for the second straight year trying to win back to back titles um which would be some feat for sure for Kirby Smart and and co uh so if you made it through the new uh the new year and those CFP games, there was still more college football left to play, including the Cotton Bowl between USC and Tulane. Yes, Tulane, the Green Wave, um, a team that won just two games a year ago, now won 11 regular season games, found themselves in the Cotton Bowl. And I'm guessing not too many people even knew this game was on. But uh, I had it on late and caught the ending and what a finish it was. It was really all about Caleb Williams early on. He threw for five touchdowns to set a Cotton Bowl record. Uh, just an, a, lot of, a lot of analysts, a lot of people believe he is the next Patrick Mahomes. Um, he's a little bit undersized, so that's something, you know, to watch out for. But anyway, um, they were dominating early, but much like we saw against Utah in the Pac-12 championship game, they couldn't stop a nosebleed. And the Green Wave converts twice on like fourth and fourth and two fourth and longs. One was like fourth and 11. One might have been fourth and eight or fourth and 10. They convert twice on fourth and long on the final drive. And quarterback Michael Pratt then hits his tight end, Alex Bauman, for the touchdown and the 46 45 lead with you know less than 10 seconds and they end up securing the win the win for Tulane that marks their 12th win of the year first against an AP top 10 team since 1983 and then gave them 12 wins after just two last year it is the best season the season turnaround in FBS history um just ridiculous i didn't even know that tc uh that excuse me tulane was was relevant this year but they were ranked um and it's one of the craziest turnarounds i've ever heard of um so congrats to willie fritz this man should be in line to get the next major major job um i have to sit here and watch Rutgers for the last five six years however long shiano's been back and they're just at the bottom of the barrel every year and then i've i gotta look at it, a subdivision team like tulane going from two wins to 12 and beating usc in the cotton bowl it just stings a little bit because it appears that Greg Schiano just isn't the man for the job, although he is trying to compete in the Big Ten, which is a totally different uh, animal and a different beast. But uh, 
Yeah, I said Caleb Williams. He threw for five touchdowns to set a record, but also 462 yards as well. So he's going to be the consensus, probably number one pick in next year's draft. He will be back to USC because he's only a sophomore. All right, next up, here's an insanely juicy story. The best story you will hear all week. So U.S. men's national team soccer coach Greg Bearhalter whose contract actually ran out at the end of December, at the end of the World Cup, essentially. And it's still unknown whether he will be back or not to coach this team in the next World Cup, which I I gather he will be because he did a pretty good job. But earlier this week, it was reported that just after the World Cup, someone reported a domestic violence incident between Bear Halter and his now wife. This occurred back in 1991 when they were attending UNC together. This was at a bar. He apparently acknowledged that he kicked her. Um, I think there might have been like some sort of police report or something because the wife signed a document. It was a known thing. But somebody basically was blackmailing him, saying that they will they can end his career over this and blah, blah, blah. Uh, Somebody was obviously out to get him. Well, let's take it back a bit. Remember during the World Cup? when we couldn't figure out why Gio Reyna, the young 20-year-old stud player for the U.S. men's national team, just wasn't playing. And then after the World Cup, we find out he had an attitude problem. Players were questioning, like, what the hell is wrong with this kid? He ended up having to apologize, but Bearhalter refused to play him because basically he had a meltdown. Um, Okay, so let's circle back to that. Turns out the anonymous person that was trying to ruin Bearhalter was Gio Reyna's mom, Danielle. Oh my God. Yes. I kid you not. She's the one that reported the incident to the U.S. Soccer Federation. Now, it doesn't end there. In a statement to The Athletic, she said, as part of that conversation, I told Ernie that I thought it was especially unfair that Gio, who had apologized for acting immaturely about his playing time, was still being dragged through the mud when Greg had asked for and received forgiveness for doing something so much worse at the same age. Okay, but it gets better. Gio Reyna's father, Claudio, and Bearhalter were teammates in youth soccer, and they were on the 2002 U.S. team. And Danielle, Gio's mother, actually roomed and played soccer with Bearhalter's wife, Rosalind, at UNC. So there is some serious familial drama going on here. It's like the 20-year-old kid, you know, took his punches, apologized for being an immature idiot. He's only 20 years old. I get it. He wants to play. It's the World Cup. And, you know, he was acting like a baby, apologizes for it. You figure we'll move on. Everything will be forgotten and forgiven. And it's the adults, i.e. his mother, that can't act like a mature person in this situation. And and it's got to be, if I'm Gio Reyna, I am embarrassed. I am mortified that this has come out, that my mother would do such a thing, probably behind my back. I mean, it is, it speaks volumes. I mean, what a wild, wild story. I mean, again, these two families have history. Um, but wow, wow, wow just something out of a Hollywood movie. I need a 30 for 30 on this stat. Like, let's get on it, ESPN. And the craziness continues. Let's talk about Jimbo Fisher. Jimbo Fisher had the number one recruiting class in the country and proceeded to go five and seven, an absolute failure, an abject failure of a season, right? 
now he's a little bit desperate and he needed he needs an offensive coordinator because he calls the plays and they went five and seven. So clearly he now needs to put the put the onus on someone else and have someone else to blame should this go up in flames. So who do you think he hired? Bobby Petrino. Oh, my God. Yeah. Bobby Petrino, who made a name for himself about two decades ago at Louisville, turned that success into a 13-game head coaching gig in the NFL with the Atlanta Falcons before he then decided to straight up quit after those 13 games to take the Arkansas head coaching job. Just ridiculous. Before then having a crazy scandal at Arkansas where he was having an inappropriate relationship with a female staffer. That's not where that story ended. He had an inappropriate relationship with a female staffer, but was involved in a motorcycle accident in which she was riding the back of the motorcycle. He got, you know, banged up, cut up, scraped up on the face and head and stuff. And then he went to a clinic, not a hospital. He wanted to keep this out of the press, goes to a clinic. The AD asked him if he was by himself. He says he was by himself, clearly lied because he was with the female staffer. Witnesses at the scene of the crime or scene of the accident say they saw this woman. It then comes out that she was involved and that he was, you know, sleeping with this woman and he was promptly fired. And since then, I didn't really know this, but he's been apparently coaching at Missouri State for the last two years. But he also recently just took the same OC job at UNLV in December. And then as is his MO, because he just jumped ship quicker than quick, Jimbo comes a call in and he's like, oh, SEC, Texas A&M, let me just go there. So he, boom, just like that, leaves UNLV and heads to College Station. It's really quite remarkable stuff. Um, and I can't wait to see this drama unfold next year. Okay, the Red Sox made waves. They agreed with Rafael Devers to an 11-year, $330 million extension. About time they paid They paid somebody. They let Xander Bogarts walk. They lost Mookie Betts to the Dodgers a few years back. It's really quite remarkable. Um, but so they inked their man Endeavors. Georgetown continues to embarrass themselves. Um, their basketball team, just unbelievable. Wednesday, the Hoyas lost their 25th straight Big East game, which is now a new conference record. And it's only made worse by the fact that their head coach is a Georgetown legend and NBA legend um, in Patrick Ewing. It's just hard to swallow at this point if you're Georgetown, and I'm sure changes are coming soon. Uh, Notre Dame, they landed a big-time transfer quarterback, Marcus Freeman, finally uh, making a big splash yesterday, uh, when, Wednesday, no, uh, Thursday, landing former Wake Forest quarterback Sam Hartman. This has been in the works for a few weeks, it seems like, but Hartman is no joke. He was the best quarterback in Wake history, statistically, and he was viewed also as the number one available transfer. This is a huge get for Notre Dame, considering they will play Ohio State, Clemson, and USC next season. So, uh, yeah, that's something to keep an eye out for. They could be playoff bound next year. Tough schedule, but they could they can make some noise. Uh, meanwhile, the number two available quarterback that was in the transfer portal, Coastal Carolina's Grayson McCall, has actually um, taken his name out, and he is going to stay put at Coastal. McCall entered his name into the portal on December 12th and 
head coach Jamie Chadwell left earlier um, in the month to take the same head coaching position at Liberty, which helped to spark some McCall um, rumors that he might be following his former coach to Liberty, but it looks like he will be back. And then on the hardwood, Texas actually did fire Chris Beard two days ago. I guess I was wrong on this one. Actually, this might have happened yesterday. They officially canned him uh, less than a month after he was arrested on a third-degree felony assault charge. It's a bit shocking considering Beard had Texas up to number two in the country earlier this season, um, and they've been very, very good. Uh, so I'm a bit surprised because I didn't think they would they would actually have the stones to fire him, but kudos to Texas for making the decision. Uh, John Calipari is actually rumored to be possibly uh, linked to this job. Uh, so, you know, that's something to keep an eye out for. And then it doesn't help that he got blasted. Uh, his worst loss ever lost to Alabama today, 78 to 52, 52 points is the, I think the low that they've ever scored, um, to, uh, Kentucky with, you know, him at the helm. So, you know, maybe he's got one foot already out the door. I don't know how this is going to work though. Cause I'm pretty sure, didn't he sign some sort of like lifelong, like, like contract with Kentucky. So who the hell knows? Uh, my Brooklyn Nets beat the Pelicans last night on ESPN. It was a pretty no Zion. So this kind of took a lot of steam out of it, but the, the number two team in the West versus the Nets at the time were, had just dropped to the three seed because they lost to the bulls ending their 12 game winning streak, but no Zion. He's out three weeks with a hamstring injury or so always hurt that guy. Uh, not a good, shooting night for Kyrie and the Nets were down like nine at the half mounted a comeback fourth quarter Kyrie's third in scoring in the fourth averaging 8.9 points and he got hot a little bit I think he scored like 13 or so in the fourth alone and the Nets ended up pulling this one out so they've now won 13 of 14 they jump back into the second seed and oh baby they are legit they are very very legit um let's see yeah that's pretty much it that's all I've got for you guys uh Let's see. Uh, I talked about Nathan Peterman starting for the Chicago Bears. Just a little bit more on that. 83% of public money is on the Vikings to cover. Um, not really saying much. Like I said earlier, the Bears have now lost nine in a row. Nathan Peterman has a career passer rating of 32.2. So that's probably the lock of the week, the Vikings. Um, okay, I want to talk before I get to the final segment on this date in sports. I got to talk about this Peyton Hillis uh, situation. So Peyton Hillis was in Pensacola, Florida. Apparently his young children, he has two kids, were swimming in the ocean, I guess, and they started drowning. Maybe it was a bad current. I know we've had some bad storms of late. He dives in, runs in after them, saves his kids, but in the process, he practically drowns himself. Um... If you don't remember Peyton Hillis, he was the former fullback at Arkansas turned running back. Uh, he was on the cover of Madden 12, had just an unbelievable season the year before. And, and uh, you know, he's now 36 years old, retired from the NFL, and he's fighting for his life in the ICU. He's in critical condition. Um, he sustained injuries to his lungs and his kidneys. So everybody is praying for him because talk about a hero saving your own children and putting your own life on the line. It's just an unbelievably um, courageous thing to do. And uh, 
I'm pulling for him. And I know, you know, the NFL community and the whole world is probably pulling for him as well. So he was actually airlifted um, to the hospital. That's how serious this was. So he's made a little bit of progress, but I don't believe he's woken up just yet. Okay, finally, on this date in sports, let's get to it. January 7th. Let's get to it. Uh, January 7th. Uh, what year was this? Sorry. Uh, January 7th, 1990. So actually two years before I was born. Um, the Rams beat the New York Giants 19 to 13 in overtime of the divisional playoff round at the Meadowlands. That was a big time upset at the time. The Rams, um, let's see. Okay, so the Rams actually won the overtime coin toss, and it took them just 66 seconds to win as Flipper Anderson caught a 30-yard touchdown pass from Jim Everett and continued into the tunnel. Yep, I remember that as the Rams advanced to the NFC Championship game. So that is going to wrap it up, guys. Let's see. The Kansas City Chiefs are currently up 7-3. The Raiders just kicked a field goal. Let's see who scored that touchdown for the Chiefs. It was Jarek McKinnon with another touchdown. You've got to be kidding me. No, wait, wait. Hold on. Yeah, Jarek McKinnon had the touchdown, two-yard touchdown reception. Unbelievable. He scored now in like seven straight games. Unbelievable. How many touchdowns does that make on the year? Because he was on my fantasy team, and I was starting him uh, like crazy. Let's see. 2022. Why does it say 2021? Uh, Jarek, well, let's just go to my fantasy team because he's on it. Jarek McKinnon. Jarek McKinnon now has uh, eight receiving touchdowns, one rushing touchdown. He might have nine receiving touchdowns. I don't know if that counts today. today's touchdown, but unbelievable. What a season for him, and that's what happens when you play with the great Patrick Mahomes. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's been fun to be back here after a couple week hiatus. I hope you all had a, you know, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays and Happy New Year. Um, and with that being said, I should be back on our regularly scheduled um, schedule next Friday. Go watch some football, enjoy some college basketball, and I'll catch everybody next week. This is the Pody signing off.